So anyway, get your Bibles ready. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And listen, this message, not the message so much as the Word of God. I mean, I'm incompetent to say the least to preach God's Word. But this passage, this text, need, you need to pay attention to it because you need to have your lives changed by this passage. This passage is for every single Christian and you need to take it seriously because the church today, in America especially, is not taking this seriously enough. <clears throat> so get ready with Matthew 28. We're going to look through verses 16 through 20. <clears throat> and before we read, I just want to give a little scripture introduction. Jesus has been crucified. He was buried. <clears throat> he rose again. He stayed for 40 more days on the earth. And now he's getting ready to ascend back to his father. Many of you remember that great story in the Bible. That great historical story in the Bible. But before he goes back, he does something very significant. He commissions his 12 apostles to go and make disciples, just as he did with them. And this is... This commission is by implication is the extension to all Christians throughout the ages. It wasn't just to the apostles. Let this passage encourage you to make disciples of all nations. Let's look at this text, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Is this the ESV, Jackie? Okay. I must have um, <clears throat> a different version. I thought I had the ESV, but okay, let me read from there. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth, on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. <clears throat> That's called the Great Commission. <clears throat> Let me ask you something. Why are Christians here on earth? Why? Why are we here on earth? What is the church's purpose or mission here on earth? Is it to live holy? Think about that for a second. Is it to live holy? Well, of course we're called to live holy, right? Hebrews tells us to be partakers of holiness. Leviticus, God told Moses to tell the people of Israel, be holy. Why? Because I am holy. First Peter, the first chapter... Holiness, is, holiness needs to be part of our conduct. But of course we all know perfect holiness only comes in Christ. We sung that song. Christ in me, holiness. Well, holiness is Christ in me. And perfect holiness, perfect holiness, do we live holy lives as Christians? Yes. But are we perfect in our holiness? No. Perfect holiness is going to be fully realized in heaven. 
We see that in Revelation 22, 11. I'm going to throw out a lot of scriptures, but we're not going to read every one of them because we'll be here till tomorrow morning. <clears throat> so, although we're called to live holy lives, that is not the purpose why we're here on earth. Or maybe you think, well, okay, we're here to worship. Are we here to worship? Well, we're here to worship. Um, Luke and Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, and he said, you are to worship the Lord and him only. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord tells them to worship him. In John 4, he says, you worship me in spirit and in truth. So we, we ought to worship the Lord. But in heaven, worship is going to be perfect. We see that in Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Or maybe you're thinking, well, the main purpose is not to live holy or to worship. Maybe it's to fellowship. And we are to fellowship. First John, the first chapter, the third, sixth, and seventh verse speaks of fellowship with God and each other. We're partakers with each other. That's what communion is. It comes from the Greek word koinonia. It means to, we're partners, we're fellowship. We're, we're fel- we fellowship with God, we fellowship with each other. But is our fellowship here perfect? No. I mean... We're always fighting and bickering and, and, you know, we have differences with each other. So our fellowship is not perfect. And these are important and necessary. To live holy, it's important, it's necessary. To, to worship is important and necessary. Um, to fellowship is important and necessary. But they're not the reason why we're here on earth. Because here on earth... None of this stuff is going to be perfect in heaven. So why, why doesn't God just take us? Because we still have to do something. We have to make disciples. That's something we can do here. We can share the gospel here. We can make disciples here that we can't do or we will not do in heaven. That's the church's mission. That's the Great Commission. That's why it's called the Great Commission. Because God is commissioning Christians throughout the ages to go and make disciples of all nations. That's your responsibility. That's not the pastor's, only the pastor's responsibility or the elder of the church or the worship leader or, or, or whatever ministry you are involved in church. That's everybody's responsibility. And it's the same purpose as the father and son. Luke 19.10, he says, Jesus said, I, I came to seek and save the lost. So the answer is seek and save the lost, but also to make disciples. That's the church's mission, that's sonship uh, ministry's mission, and that's your mission. What is a disciple? Well, the disciple comes from a Greek word, mathetes, and it really means a pupil, a learner. One who follows one's teaching. It's imitators of their teaching. And it really, really means this. To trust Christ and follow him in a continual learning and obedience. Look at first, or the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter, the 31st verse to the 32nd verse. 
So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you what? Continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So we need to continue in his word if we're going to be truly his disciples. And, it, and, that, and there is one reason the Lord allows his church to remain here on earth. Once again, is to seek and save the lost and to make disciples. To teach them to continue in his word. Jesus said in John 20, 21, and you don't have to turn to that. As the Father has sent me, what? I also send you. That's his plan. It began in eternity past before the foundations of the world. But it did not go into effect until Adam chose to sin. Since that day, man has been trying to hide from God. And God has been redeeming man back to himself. Since Adam's sin, it has always been God who solely out of his own gracious love has taken the initiative to restore men to righteousness. God has always taken the initiative for man's salvation and restoration from the first call of Adam. Remember? Adam, where are you? Genesis 3.9. To the last call in Revelation, which we'll hear one day. The spirit and the bride say, come. Sinful man persisted in withdrawing further and further from God. So that God divided them into separate nations. Remember that in Genesis chapter 6. God called Israel to be the witness nation to the world through Abraham. But they failed miserably. And then God called a remnant from among them to do what they failed to do. And when the church of Israel rejected his, her Messiah and King, Jesus Christ... God called out the church, his new chosen instrument, to redeem the world. And God, ever since, has been drawing and is now drawing and will continue to draw sinful mankind to himself until one day when he returns. And God is truly glorified by his gracious redemption of damned, hell-bound sinners. So what does... Making disciples involved. What's involved in making disciples? The first thing, let's go back to verse 16, is availability. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus has designated. Availability. Okay? If we're going to make disciples, we must be available. The 11 disciples were where Jesus had told them to be. He told them, to go to Galilee, to this particular mountain. He said, wait there. So they made themselves available. The greatest ability in your life is availability. The most talented and gifted Christian in the world is useless if they're not available. Because the disciples were where Christ told them to be and were available, they were commissioned and received his power his promise of the continual presence and power to minister to the world in his name. Isaiah 6 8. God told Isaiah, He said, Go tell unfaithful, rebellious Israel that judgment is coming. And Isaiah said, and, we, and we'll read 6 8. He said, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah made himself available. 
Acts 9, 2. Paul immediately was made available to be an instrument um, to what he was to do. When he was on his road to Damascus to persecute Christians, God struck him down. And the first thing he said was, who are you? And Jesus said, it is Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then the next thing he said, was, which is amazing, is, Lord, what, do you have, what will you have me to do? He made himself available immediately. He didn't wait. He immediately made himself available. Availability involves, that's the one thing that's involved in making disciples. The second thing that's involved in making disciples is worship. Verse 17, again. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. I'm not going to talk about the doubtful ones because many commentators said there were probably others there besides the 11 disciples that may have doubted. But they worshipped him. Throughout scripture, once again, we are called to be worshippers. When God is not truly worshipped, one cannot truly be saved. Paul the Apostle was the greatest apostle and also the greatest disciple maker. But yet, what was he? He's, he was a worshipper. He worshipped God. His complete focus was on Christ. And this is the essence of worship. Your complete focus on Christ. We could hardly teach believers about worship if we ourselves are not worshipers. So we are to make ourselves available. We are to be worshipers. Third thing is, we are to be submissive. Verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Christ had absolute authority. It is because of Christ's sovereign power that his followers are able to have the attitude of complete, humble submission to his will. Submission is not an option, folks. It's not an option, but a supreme obligation. It's not negotiable to our inclination and plans. It is an attitude that says with with absolute sincerity, whatever the Lord commands, I will do. So we are to be available, we are to be worshipers, and we are to be obedient. And these, so far these three are involved in making disciples. Obedience is only possible when the attitude of availability, worship, and submission characterizes the believer's life. If they don't characterize the believer's life, you can rest assured they're not, they're not obedient children of God. When these attitudes are present, you are obedient and will go and make disciples. And the, and the fifth and final thing in this particular point is power. Verse 20, the second half. And he says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We need Christ's power. We need to be available, we need to be worshipers, we need to be submissive, we need to be obedient, and we need Christ's power. We need all these things to be disciple makers. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Listen, we don't have the power of Christ. You're not going to only not... 
share the gospel with somebody, you're never going to be able to make disciples. We need the power of God. Okay? So the, the first thing is, is what disciple, what does making disciples involve? The second thing is, how do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? Let's go to verse 18 again. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth. First of all, we need his authority once again. We need Christ's authority. Authority is what Christ gives us. It's his authority that he gives us to go make disciples. Authority, uh, we need his authority. Authority during his earthly ministry was clearly demonstrated. We see Christ had authority. Christ's authority is absolute and it was universal. Warren Wisby said, this was no mere peasant of Galilee anymore, but the mighty son of God. So we see, when Christ rose again from the dead, he had this authority that he spent 40 days on earth, given the authority and passing it down to his disciples. And now they're passing it down to us. This authority was not given to him as the son of God because nothing can be added to him or taken away but as the son of man which he has merited by his incarnation, death and passion. Which was foretold in the Old Testament by the psalmist. You see that in Psalm 2.8 and the prophet Daniel. Let's go to Psalm 2.8. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. See, God the Father gave Jesus the authority. Okay? And, this, and, and by the prophet Daniel, Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given what? Dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this authority that Christ has was given to him by God the Father. And now he's passing it down to us. Authority comes from the Greek word exousia, which refers to the freedom and right to speak and act as one pleases. This was handed to Jesus by the Father. John 3.35 The Father loves the Son and has given what? All things into His hand. And and Philippians 2, verses 9-11 through Therefore God has highly, what? Exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in light of his absolute authority, his sovereign authority, Jesus commands us, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This, beloved, is the great commission. 
This is the great commission that is given. Once again, we established that Jesus has the authority, and now he passes on the authority to his apostles, and, the, and it's passed on to us as well. And that's the great commission. And the great commission contains one central idea. Now, I want you to get this. One central idea. And what is that? Make disciples. Okay? That's the main verb in the text. Make disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That is the main verb. That is the main point. That is the main idea. Then there are three participle verbs. Participles modify the main verb. So, how do we make disciples? We go. We baptize. And we teach. That's the three participles, that's the three verb forms. Participles describe the aspect of the process. Go, baptize, teach. But how do we, so how do we make disciples? We go, we baptize, and we teach. And that's verse 19 again. Go, let's talk about the first one, how we make disciples. This is how you make disciples. We go, the Greek participle is best translated, having gone. Okay? When you look it up in the Greek, it's probably better translated, having gone. Suggesting not so much a command as an assumption. There's an assumption Jesus is giving to us. He's assuming that we, as Christians, are going to go and make disciples. Perhaps it would be better to be read like this. Having gone on your way, therefore, make disciples. If I want a job... Do I sit home and I'm going to find a job? You know, people are out of job and they say, oh, I'm, I, I can't find a job. Well, are you paving the, uh, pounding the pavement? Are you uh, getting your resume together? Are you um, um, calling up the, uh, you know, the, the um, what do you call them? The headhunters. Are you, are you doing all that? If you're not doing that, you're not going to get a job. If we don't go, we're not going to make disciples. Where are we to go? To the world that Christ has not been named. Acts 2, verses 14 to 42. That's Peter's great sermon. We're not going to read that. But that was Peter's first great sermon. Um, 3,000 were saved. It's the first major church history event, establishment of the church. Peter preaches the gospel and and multitudes come to Christ. And as you read verse 41 and 42, it says, they began to make disciples. Let's read that. Verse 41 and 42. So those who received his word were baptized And they were added to that day about 3,000. Now look at the next verse. And they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We see Paul in Acts and throughout his epistles going into the world and making disciples. He didn't wait for the world to come to him. He went to all the nations. And it doesn't mean, of course... Every one of us are going to be missionaries now. We're going to go to China. We're going to go to Indonesia. We're going to go to Pakistan. We're going to go to all the Middle Eastern countries. doesn't necessarily mean that. If God calls you to that, God bless you and you should go. 
But we go, we, we have a melting pot right over here in Bay Ridge of dif- different nationalities. The nations are represented in Bay Ridge. There's Asian, there's Latino, there's, there's Italian, there's Irish, there's every nation in this. And we can go to this, to our neighbors. We can go to the supermarket. We can go to our, 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 our schools and our jobs. There is plenty of places to go right here in our neighborhood that Christ has not been named. Or at least, all right, people may have heard of Christ, but they don't really know and understand the gospel. And we could tell them that. And by the way, notice that Jesus didn't say, and I want you to hear this. Jesus did not say, go and make conversions, did he? That's assumed. Whenever you read through the Gospels, and that's what, we have to be very careful, especially today. Today, today it's, this is salvation. You know, a, a preacher or a pastor gets up, or an evangelist, especially on TV you see this a lot, and they give the gospel message and they say, raise your hand, and you know, the person raises their hand and, and they're saved, and that's the extent of their salvation. Well, when, when you look through the gospels and when you look through the epistles, it's really, that's not it. They were called followers of Christ. They were called disciples. That's why Jesus said, pick up your cross and what? Follow me. If you're truly my disciples, you're going to abide in my word. And one of his words is, pick up your cross and follow me. We ought to be disciples. We ought to be followers of Jesus Christ. And before you can make other disciples, you yourself have to be a follower of Christ. Forget about this, I raised my hand 20 years ago, so I'm a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian is one who Christ has redeemed and has converted his heart, has regenerated his heart, is forgiven because of the blood of Christ, and has now the resurrection, resurrected power of Christ living in him, and is a follower of Christ, is a disciple of Christ. So Jesus didn't say make conversions, rather make disciples. But if one is not converted, he or she cannot be a disciple. So the implication here is to first, to bring the gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sin. And we read this in Luke 24, 47, that sins and re, uh, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. But we're to make disciples. Okay, not just conversions. I remember one time, I have a good friend of mine, great woman of God, I mean a fantastic woman of God, helped disciple me, but she was telling me one time about, um, she led a lot of people to the Lord, and I challenged her, and I said, have you discipled them? And up up to that point, she had not. And I said, well, what do you think is going to happen to them? You need to disciple them. Now, listen, I understand if you're a new Christian, you really don't know how to do any of this, but how you can disciple them is you can bring them to church. And the church will baptize them, and the church will teach them. But you can go and get them and bring them in. Make disciples carries a beautiful combination of meanings. In this context, it it relates to those who not only place their trust in him, but follow him in their lives of continual learning and obedience. Remember John 8.31, continue in my word and you are true disciples of mine. We are to continue 
in following Christ. And his instruction is to go to where? All the nations. Jesus' initial instruction was to where? To go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 10, 6. Romans 1, 16 says, The gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. But to who first? The Jew first. But Israel as a nation, remember, rejected their only Messiah king. So the gospel went to the Gentiles. Acts 13, 46 and 47. Let's just look at Acts 13, 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. And he's talking to the Jew. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So, we are to go to all the nations. We are to show no partiality. And by the way, that doesn't mean the Jews, God is totally finished with the Jews. It says very clearly that he hardened their hearts in part so the number of Gentiles can come in. But once the number of Gentiles come in, I believe God still has a plan for the Jew. I, I really believe that. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy. Um, um, I'm not going to get into that because it'll, that's another five messages, maybe even more. But it, the, because of the Jews' rejection of Christ, generally speaking, obviously we have Jewish people here, but because, right Bonnie? <laughs> but because, uh, in general, the Jews rejected Christ, it went to the Gentiles. And so we are not to show partiality in preaching the gospel. We are not to show partiality if we're Italian to the black man. We are not to show partiality as Americans to the Islamic fundamentalist. We are not to show partiality to anyone. We are to go to all the nations and preach the gospel. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is at the cross, it's at the bottom of the cross, it's level. So we are to never show partiality in preaching the gospel. It's amazing how the Ku Klux Klan, I mean, they're really, of course, diminishing, but they're still very active, but not as active. How they can call themselves Christians and kill black people and Jews and others. It's amazing. They, they are Christians in name only. They're nominal Christians. They call themselves Christians, but they're not. So we are... Not to show partiality in preaching the gospel. We are to preach to all people. We are not to show favoritism. Uh, James verse chapter 2 verse 1 says that clearly. And we read in Revelation 7, 9, 7, 9 and 10. It says, After this I look and behold a great multitude that no one could number from where? Every nation from all tribes and peoples and language. Does that sound like we should be partial? have partiality in our, in our vocabulary? No, of course not. And it says, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud vo- voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So, by the way, I'm, I'm, this is an old message. I preached this five years ago, so I don't have my iPad, so I'm using the old method of notes. <laughs> the old, the old school. 
So we're to go. We're to go. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? Please say yes. Amen. Say amen. <laughs> say I'm willing. Let this change your life. Listen, this needs, the God's word needs to change your heart and your life. If, if you haven't been going and making disciples, you need to start. So the first thing is you go. Second thing is baptize. We go, we preach the gospel, the one who responds is now ready to be baptized. Let's talk about baptism a little. Baptism does not save anyone. Okay, we see that, the thief on the cross, Luke 23. But it's commanded, Acts 2.35, it says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. It really should be rendered, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus because of the remission of sins. Because when it says for, it sounds like, well, we have to be baptized in order to be saved. No, that's a byproduct of your salvation. Unwillingness to be baptized means disobedient. And to be persistent in that, more than likely, a person is not a true Christian. Why would they not want to obey the first command? When the first church came to faith in Christ, the first thing they did was they got baptized, which identified them with the church and identified them with Christ. Mark 16 16, baptism accompanies salvation. It says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. In Acts, it says they believed and then they were baptized. In a nutshell, baptism is identification with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's an outward sign of an inner reality. So it doesn't save you. It's just telling the world, this is what's going on inside of me. And if any of you have not been to one of our baptisms, we, we have great testimonies of people testifying of what Christ has done for them. So baptism doesn't save you, but it's, 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 it's an outward sign of what has taken place on, on the inside. And it's the first obedience. Baptism is to be made in the name, uh, in verse 19, let's go back to verse 19. It says, baptizing them in what? The name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is not a formula, but this emphasizes the unity of the Trinity. That's why he says, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go to Acts, four times it says, in Jesus' name. It doesn't say, in the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, right? It says, in Jesus' name. It's not a contradiction, since one includes the other. Another reason is the Father and the Holy Spirit, their divinity, that they are God, was not in question in the first century. In the first century, what was in question was Christ's divinity. That was the controversy back then. That's why they had all these councils. That's why they had to come with the Nicene Creed, that Jesus Christ is truly God. So that's why, more than likely, in Acts, they would baptize in Jesus' name. When a believer is baptized, he or she is identified with everything God is, has, and represents. So when you're baptized, you're not only identified with the church, you're not only saying to the world, this is what's going on inside of me, I'm a follower of Christ, but we're identified with everything God is, and has, and represents. It signifies we have been made one with the Father, one with the Son, and one with the Holy Spirit. 
doesn't mean we're divine, it just means we're identified with them. Okay? So we're to go, we're to baptize, and we're to teach. We're to teach. We don't just lead to Christ, but we teach. It's the church's mission to lead to Christ and to teach them. I remember when I was a young boy, very young boy, and Christmas was always a great time. I just couldn't wait to get, you know, usually when I, whatever I asked my parents, and that was never over the top because they didn't have the money. If I was over the top, they would have said sorry. But they always got me within reason what I wanted. And I remember, I don't know if you, any of you remember this, it was, it was only maybe a couple of years. There's this big toy, it was a box about this big. And I used to see it advertised on TV and I wanted it. It looked so great on TV. You know, when you open it up, it looks like a piece of garbage. But when you see it on TV, it looks like the real thing, right? So, <clears throat> it was called Moonbase. Now, I doubt anybody remembers that because I just remember that one particular year that it was, you know, advertised. So, my parents got it for me for Christmas. And they didn't really read the instructions. And I put it together and it was pretty bad. You know, you cranked the thing and the thing was like all wobbly. And, you know, it just didn't look right. It didn't, I, you know, I lost interest in it very quickly. Because I'm not one, and I, to this day, and my wife is always um, saying, you know, you need to read the instructions. You need to follow the ingredients, you know, when you're making something. But, I, you know, I just have no patience for instructions. But we need, you see, if I would have read the instructions with that toy that those instructions would have taught me how to make it right so it would have worked properly. But we need to be taught as Christians. Okay? And if you're not taught, and a lot of churches, and I, I don't say this to put down churches, a lot of Christian churches, they love Christ, but they don't, they're not teaching, and it's a, a direct violation in God's word. We ought to teach. That's why we have adult Bible study. And that's why we have women's fellowship. That's why we have men's fellowship. And that's why we even begin prayer with a a little teaching devotional. You need to be taught. In order to live a life of obedience, we must learn what is required. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 2. Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now listen to this. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. As Christians, we need to desire to be taught when men's ministry, adult Bible study, women's Bible study and fellowship is made available, take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. You're going to learn. And you're going to grow in, 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 in the knowledge of Christ. We need to desire to be taught. <clears throat> and as a church, we need to teach. And we do teach. Jesus taught his disciples practical holiness. Old Testament foretold the coming Messiah. For redemption, right? The Gospels tell us how that redemption was accomplished through Jesus Christ. Excuse me. And epistles teach us how to live out that redemption. 
So the Old Testament said, there's a Messiah coming. The Gospels teach us how that redemption was carried out through Jesus Christ. And now the, new, or the epistles in the New Testament teach us how to live. That's why we need to be taught. How to live the life that is now in us. We don't all have the gift of teaching, but we can all promote the ministry of teaching. Not all of you are called to teach, but you can promote the ministry of teaching. And you can, you can teach basic doctrinal truths to, to younger Christians. <clears throat> Baptism identifies us with Jesus and his, and his community. Teaching helps us to grow in discipleship. There is an ongoing transformation going inside of every true believer. What's that called? Sanctification. Without the word of God, through the Spirit's power, there will be no growth. So we need to go, we need to baptize, and we need to teach. And we also need to do this, to carry this out. You know what we need? His presence. Without his presence, we're helpless. We're sheep without a shepherd. Look at the second half of verse 20. I can't wait to get back to my iPad. This is (laughs) pages all over the place. You know, it's funny. When I used to do this, because I had it down, it was seamless. You know, but when you go to the modern technology, and you get used to that, and you go back to this, it's like, it's so hard, it's so difficult. But um, verse 20, the second half, and he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of his age. His presence with the church is needed to fulfill the mission of purpose. If I was a child, or children, when they're learning to ride a bicycle, they need their parents to, you know, be with them and to guide them and to hold them and so they don't fall. And it's the same thing, Christ, we need Christ's presence with us to go and to baptize and to teach. <clears throat> Jesus said, without me, you can do what? No. Nothing. John fifteen five, Broken branch apart from the main vine withers and dies. He says, I am. The Greek word egoimi could be rendered I myself am with you. Christ wants us to pay close attention that He, the resurrected, living, eternal God and Lord is with us. He's with the church and He's with us individually. He says, always I'm with you. Not just some of the time, He says, always. And He says, I'm with you to the end of time. That's how long, to the end of the age, until Christ returns to judge the nations and rule His kingdom. Kenneth Weiss, the Greek scholar, in his expanded translation of the New Testament, says it like this. And behold, as for myself, with you, I am all the days until the consummation of the age. How is his his presence with us today? His Holy Spirit. John 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. 
You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And will be in you, actually. He will empower you. He will empower me. He will empower the church. He will empower Sonship Ministry to fill, fulfill his great commission. Go. Baptize. Teach. And lo, I am with you till the end of the age. That's the great commission. Jesus said this. He promises to be with you and I want to encourage you. Do it. Do it. Go. Bring them to church. We'll baptize them. Well, you, you introduce them to adult Bible study. The woman you introduce to women's, uh, women's Bible study and fellowship. You introduce them the men to uh, the men's fellowship. We make it easy here. Do it. Because we need to make disciples. Because the time is getting short, shorter and shorter. The world is not getting any better. And people need to grow in the grace and knowledge of, of, of their newfound faith. And we say with the beloved Apostle John, Amen, so be it.